Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. I am Tel Luca, and I am pleased to be here today with a special guest who I'm going to tell you about in a minute. ABMP is proud to sponsor the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. All massage therapists and body workers can access free ABMP resources and information on the coronavirus and the massage profession at abmp.com slash COVID-19, including sample release forms, PPE guides, and a special issue of Massage and Body Work magazine, where Whitney Lowe and I, Whitney's not here this episode, he'll be back next week. Whitney Lowe and I are frequent contributors. For more, check out the ABMP podcast available at abmp.com podcasts or wherever you prefer to listen. And my guest today, Art Riggs, you're here with me, Art. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, it's great to be here, my friend. And you are, just as a word of introduction for those who don't know you, you're, and I got this off of your site at the last minute here because I realized I needed to give some introduction. You are a certified rolfer, a certified advanced rolfer, and a massage therapist who has been teaching body work since 1998. Your bio says you have a lifetime of hard physical activity and high-level athletic pursuits, including ultra marathons, which led you to body work, first as a grateful recipient and later as a student. You, I know you worked in uh, physical therapy, doing manual work for about a decade, You've worked with professional athletes, you've published some very influential texts and videos, and you've taught all over the world. You've been a great uh, booster of me and helped me imagine doing this work in a bigger format than I could have at the time, and I'm grateful to you for that. So I'm really pleased and happy to have this time to chat with you, Art. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like people to know about you? Here at the outset? Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll sort of blab along and maybe some things will uh, come out. Um, I would just like to say as far as influence that um, you have greatly influenced me. And I mentioned this in a, in a birthday uh, thing that I met you as a young rolfer 33, 34 years ago, and I was just around 40 or something. And so knowing that I'm 75 now, you must about 25. And it really sticks with me. Uh, I was just sort of blown away after coming directly from massage school at how much you knew uh, at such a young age, but also, um, which I've seen in your teaching, is your sort of um, low-key, relaxed, uh, not trying to be on the grandstand, uh, being a, a rock star. You just want to get information across. And it's it's been a little bit of a, a lesson to me because I think you and I teach a little bit differently. and I'm a little bit more hyper and, and, and fast moving. But um, I think it's just really great that, that you are um, sharing and not afraid to have other people come on and, uh, you know, feel any competition. You're, you know, so sincere, just trying to make everybody, you know, the best body worker they can be. Well, you're making, yeah, you're making me blush. I was going to interview you, but you've given me a nice introduction to Art. So thank you for that. But back to you for a second. What, I know some of the story, but not all of it. 
What were you doing before you were a body worker and what drew you into this work? What got you going in this direction? Well, uh, that's a long story. Um, I do have a fairly extensive and um, educational background. I, I had a bachelor's in psych, a master's in English literature, and then I got into uh, running and training runners as well. And so I came up to University of California in their PhD program in exercise physiology. And luckily about two years into it, I saw the light. And then my body was starting to act up um, from all the running and athletic injuries. And I got rolfed and the rest of it led that way. I mean, rolfing was just sort of an eye opener to me. What about rolfing opened your eyes? What drew you into that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> Some of the injuries I had, they could not, um, they couldn't deal with. I, I had I had very uh, some structural issues, a lot of injuries, torn ACLs, uh, things like that. But so I went for that, and luckily my rolfer, uh, you know, educated me that there's a lot more to to life than pain, and being in your body, where you know if you're running hundred mile races, you're you're sort of dissociating and you know, even though I tried to focus um, and I had these subtle changes that friends were mentioning and I was sort of a hard body hard driving and as I got went inward in my body uh, I just felt these profound changes and um, I was at a crossroads uh, and was about ready to go back and pick up uh, some more uh, education training. I was certified in Iowa to teach, but uh, I got rolfed and I just said, my God, <laughs> and the rest is, has been from, you know, just leading on from that. Just very quickly, as I first came out, I'm not much of a businessman, and I did start working at a physical therapy office when, um, when I finished my rolf training because I'd quit my other jobs. And... Um, they knew me quite well from uh, five knee surgeries. And uh, so they started me as a PT aide. And within a month, they gave me a room and just let me start doing manual work because they were very much using electrical and Cybex and stuff. And it got almost embarrassing because my skills were not that great. Uh, I overworked. You had the Rolf, you had the Rolf training at yeah, that time. So they, I, you I, put you in an office for seeing PT I, clients. I probably work a third as hard as I did back then. But the funny thing is, is that they, they say, can you give a little bit of work here? And I spend 10 minutes with, um, you know, doing some hands-on work and the person to try to schedule. So I want to schedule with that PT next time. And so they had to say, no, he's just an aide and we can't do that. And, um, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, I will say that I, I had no exceptional skills. I overworked. Thank God for the Rolf training. Um, but um, they ended up, uh, they were really good bosses. They ended up giving me uh, an increase in about an 80% increase in my uh, salary, got me off from doing ultrasounds and putting ice on. Uh, they did that in about two and a half months and then gave me another increase about four months later and said, just don't tell the other PTs what we're paying you. And um, <clears throat> so that sort of was my goal coming from a massage background where I was taught actually to not work on injuries and uh, scared to death of doing anything and working in PT was a huge. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you had, I'm sorry if you said it, I missed it, but you had a massage background before you went to 
the Rolf training? Well, you right? had to do that to get into Rolfing back then. Yeah. Okay. So you had you had the prerequisite a, massage background. Twenty hour massage class passed okay. out with the physiology and the anatomy because I had that in, in uh, grad school, and uh, I knew that I was not. I, I was doing it to become a Rolfer, but the thing that I okay. found is that over the years, and I know you've had this as well from your teaching till that. Massage therapists would come and take a class. I just started teaching uh, to earn a little bit of money and and, uh, whatever. But um, massage therapists would say, my God, you know, uh, this is totally different from what I learned. And so unlike you and and, uh, Whitney and Eric and and tons of other people, um, I confined myself to teaching massage therapists here in the United States. because to be honest, I would look at your work and some of these other people's, and I said, they're doing a better job than I could on the anatomical, the whatever. And uh, I felt much more gratified changing someone's whole viewpoint of body work. So um, I stayed in the massage uh, world for quite a while. And then I did my book and then I had my videos. And so I started getting asked to go around to um, other countries. And then I found out in Europe and in Taiwan and in Japan and uh, Australia that two thirds of the people I was teaching were physical therapists because um, their training had nothing to do with touch. And I won't mention his name, but a real well-known teacher was who's taken a lot of classes with physical therapists said, you know, he'd much rather teach a massage therapist because they know how to work with tissue. And so in, in Poland, uh, it's just the opposite. Here, people start massage and then they come out and they become rolfers or physical therapists or uh any any number of things. I don't want to be touting rolfing as the answer. Massage columnists video producers, people become all kinds of things after you massage. So so basically, um, in in Poland particularly, and and in Taiwan I found this, is that they take their massage training, their physical therapy training, and they don't know how to work with tissue. And so they become massage therapists after that training, where in the United States, I'm afraid there's a little bit of elitism that, you know, uh, that's not applicable for me there's more of a divide here between the massage therapy world and the physical therapy world than there is in a lot of places abroad. I've seen that too. Yeah. So you, you example, one of the things that I'm leaning toward is um, I I think there's a a bit of a a dichotomy in, in massage in the United States. And that's where most of these people listening are going to be interested. There's, I am a healer, which I keep away from those terms. Totally. Uh, I don't like those, but they'll say, I do therapeutic work. I don't do relaxation work. And they denigrate relaxation work as something that is frivolous. And um, on the other side, um, there are a lot of people that are just fantastic at that work and they do a huge service. But my feeling is that they're afraid to, to work with structural issues, with integration of the body. They don't have that knowledge. 
and there's many ways to get the knowledge. I, I, I you know, obviously you and I are rolfers. Uh, Tom Myers has his own little, you know, sort of not little, but big sidelight there. Uh, there's all sorts of other things and you have to do what grabs you. Um, but my thought is that there are a lot of people that are stuck one way or the other. They just do fix it work. They fix something and that client is gone because it's more the physical therapy issue. And then those that just do relaxation work uh, do not feel fulfilled. They, they don't know how to work on a shoulder problem, a knee, a back. And my thought is that you can combine both of those. And when I did my first video, which was very much more technical, you know, a lot of specific strategies and uh, things like that, um, <clears throat> people, I would get a lot of compliments and people would say, but here's my problem. I have people coming for a massage and they want to feel good. And they want to relax. And um, I, I'm sort of drawn, which one do I do? And my, my theory is that you can do both. And to do that, you need to have a philosophy on integrating uh, the body, uh, on timing, on doing repeat sessions, uh, so that you're not trying to rush in too much. So that's what I felt gratified over the years. I've had a lot of physical therapists that have come and studied and felt it was very helpful. But the massage therapists that have gotten out of the spas, sorry to all the spa people, uh, I, I think it's a great way to work for a lot of people and a great way to get your hands on people. But you're somewhat limited. And very often the hour, which is now a 50-minute massage. And so when people work for themselves, they uh, can combine the um, feel-good work with really serious and important therapeutic work and kill two birds with one stone. So that's sort of where I go. And then I leave the more sophisticated techniques to, to teachers like you and, and, you know, a whole bunch of other people out there. Uh, and uh, I feel happy working that way, but I also feel happy going to Europe and having physical therapists be open to this and have their eyes open up just as much. You found a way to bridge that uh, divide between those two ways of seeing it. Well, I, and that's I, interesting that you started out in the physical therapy world, but then ended up working more with massage people. Yeah. You, uh, your first, what did you do first? A book or a DVD? Yeah, I did the what book. came out first? And you did the book. I just thought that the I book was uh, a deep tissue massage. Yeah. Deep yeah. Tissue Massage was the name of the book. What And that was uh, 1990s sometime? Yeah, middle... 80s. Yeah, middle 90s maybe. I lose track. Yeah. Okay. It was really one of the first of its kind. There weren't a lot of... You know. There, were, there weren't a lot of other books out at that time, other textbooks certainly, going into that viewpoint of body work being something that could both be... Uh, helpful for a physical condition and expansive as an experience. Yep. What was that? Yeah. What was that like to write at that time and to put that out? What else was going on in the field? Did you have competitors then? Well, you know, I don't know. I just did my little thing because I was teaching. And one of the things I noticed at massage school was that the students were, um, I, I teach a lot of techniques and I teach a lot of body movement and body placement. Uh, because my one of my basic philosophies is that we want smooth movement through the joints. And um, most of the problems come with restriction at end range. And uh, so I like to test the restrictions on end range 
by moving close to enrage, not, not overstressing it, and relaxing and finding restrictions and then increasing motion. But I would see in class that my students were writing madly in their notebooks and drawing stick figures and uh, trying to imitate some technique as, as a posture. And so I got tired of that. So I started making just a little syllabus. And over the couple of years of that, I had enough that um, another rolfer, uh, one of my major influences, Michael Salveson, uh, knew a publisher. And he said, why don't you turn that in? And they immediately said, yeah, let's do this. So I threw together the book and thought I'd maybe sell a couple hundred uh you know, a year to my students or something, but it, it did seem to be popular. And I think one reason it did is that I didn't name it after myself or some, you know, complicated um, cosmic name. Uh, it's just deep tissue. And I've had every person I go to, I've taken your classes, I've taken uh, quite a few, you know, other classes. I picked something up and I, I really would not feel right uh, putting my name on it, but I think it made it accessible to a lot of people in the massage field that uh, I don't want to be, a, I want to be a massage therapist. And I just called it deep tissue massage. Deep tissue massage, a visual guide to techniques. And it became a textbook for a lot of, say, advanced massage programs in massage schools yeah, it's, all over the world. Really, it, it still is. And there's some other books that I'm hesitant to look at because I feel <laughs> you know, a little bit inferior, but I think it's accessible and it has been translated yeah. uh, into, I think about like eight languages or something like that. No kidding. So, yeah. No kidding. And then you published your DVDs or your videos or DVDs at that time. And I remember I was teaching at the Rolf Institute at that time <laughs> and it must've been middle early nineties and I remember you sent a free copy to the Rolf Institute of your new DVDs. And I was the guy teaching the entry level or, you know, the first phase of the Rolf training. So they said, hey, Tia, we'll got, till we got this uh, video. It seems to be, it's like by a Rolfer, Art Riggs, do you know him? I said, no, I don't know him. But it's about massage. You want to have a look? And I looked at it and I was like, wow, this guy is onto something. And uh, for me, it was a revelation because... Uh, at least within the Rolf Institute, I got to say there was maybe a tacit, maybe overt injunction against teaching to anybody outside right. the field. Yeah. So the Rolfer, there was a you know a, a taboo, as it were, on teaching non-Rolfers right. something like what we were doing. Right. Well, did you ever did you ever rap against that? Well, yeah, because I, I got some flack for that. Um, ah. I bend over backwards to say this is not Rolfing. And uh -huh. if you want to study Rolfing, people say, can, can, I, can I learn how to do a series with you? I say, yeah, go to the Rolf Institute or go to wherever you want to go. Um, but uh, I bend over backwards and I've had yeah. people at the end of class not even know that I'm a Rolfer. And, but I do really try to get across the idea of an integrated body that um, – all the parts are connected. So fluid connection between, but you know, the basic principles there is to let go of the cookie cutter, uh, expand your knowledge, get a philosophy, whatever it is of balancing the body and then plan your body work around that. And so yeah. that's sort of where it led. That's great. That's an eloquent way to say it. Just, uh, I just thought of a memory. I was at a conference 
Tom Myers came up behind me. I hadn't seen him for a while and said, you know, I've been meaning to tell you till how dare you teach to non-rolfers the stuff that we learned and were asked to keep to ourselves. Wow. And I thought he was, I thought he was serious because there are people that really felt like that. And I certainly caught that flag. There Tom was giving it to me in jest and totally pulled my chain. I thought he was really angry at me for this. Of course, he, he was in that uh, rolfing, rolfing alumni club too. Yeah. And then there's one other teacher, one of my huge favorite teachers, but he, he talks about deep tissue work as just punching holes in fascia. And uh, I think, you know, to be honest, I think that's a little condescending. And I, I just have known so many yeah. people that get into a regular massage person. I have just stories after stories after stories. And these aren't people that have just studied with me and are using my techniques of feeling like they are changing people's lives because they're opening themselves up to expanding what they can do. Just sort of a quick story, the model for my second DVD set, which uh, one mm -hmm. of the problems with the first was it's, it was um, hopscotch. You know, we start at the feet, we move up, we do all this stuff. And um, then people say, hey, you know, I work at a spa and, you know, this is great stuff, but, you know, how do I work it in? So I did a second set, which is how to do an integrated full body massage um, with goals for the whole body rather than techniques. So, you know, yeah. what do we do for the upper body? Uh, how, do, how do we fix a shoulder? We need to fix, we need to free the arm from the scapula. We need to free the scapula from the ribs. You know, where is the restriction? How do we move? How do we, how do we test this? Well, my model, uh, to shorten it quite a bit, um, I sort of became her mentor. And she is Japanese, and she came from a very strict, you copy everything that the teacher does. And she went to a fine massage school and learned a great routine. And um, I started working with her, and she was getting a divorce from her husband, and he wanted her to start working at a spa so that she was earning money and he's not helping her. And I just recommended strongly. I said, Get a job at a spa. It's great to get your hands on people, your be with people. So I'm not in any way denigrating spa work. But I said, you know, if you're starting with five days a week, when you need one day to get clients, and she expanded it. And for the last, after about three years, she was making six figures, uh, working totally out of her uh, own practice. She doesn't charge a whole lot. And the main thing is, is that just her clients, when she worked at a spa, after she learned her touch, which is my main thing. If you have good touch, everything else follows no matter what you do. And time after time, and she's not a bragger, uh, she's very self-effacing, but people would come in and five minutes into a massage, they, they'd say, what, what are you doing? And she says, um, massage? No, no, this, I've never felt anything like this. And, um, she was getting $50 tips, uh, things like this. Uh, she got one more, and she had a doctor come in. She'd say he was a regular person at the spa. And she said, you know, what are, what are you looking for today? What, are you, what's, what, what do you need worked on? He says, I find it a lot better to um, just let you decide because you find things that I don't know about. And, you know, I have to sort of put it back to you because that's one thing I love in your training is that you are not giving a lecture 
you're having a conversation with the body. And I love watching you work. You, you work more slowly than I do. I'm a little bit, I try to bite off more than I can chew and all this stuff. But <clears throat> she, she has just a full practice from people that say, I'm through getting regular massage, but they feel great. They fall asleep yeah. at the table with her. Yeah. Uh, she works with her central nervous system, albeit unconsciously, I think. So I, I just am a real advocate for every person out there. If you're a new massage therapist, it's a little bit like when I saw you when you were 25 years old. Um, I was feeling intimidated by all the Rolf people. I felt your sort of self-effacing and calm demeanor was, was part of that. But I said, you know, Hank, I'm 40 years old. I'm 15 years older than this guy. If he can do that at 25, Maybe I can at 60. Um, That's funny. So, That's funny. Because so I saw your DVDs and I thought the same thing. He said, wait a minute. If he can make it this clear and this obvious and so different from rolfing, we should say this to reassure our rolfer friends and colleagues out there. We're not, you didn't go teach rolfing. I didn't go teach rolfing. But somehow you really showed me that it was possible to use the inspiration you got there and translate it into something that was useful in another profession. Yeah. Well, we both. Sure. Is, that Is that right? Yeah. All right. But you know, well, points about massage therapists that, that I think are, yeah. as I say, touch is everything. And mm. uh, you're, you're, I think, a real master at having people start reading in, instead of always inputting. And um, to have a good touch, you, you have to feel what is happening in the body in response to your touch. And so you are leading people, but you're letting them lead you. And so, um, again, you said in, you're not giving a you lot of your body. You're having a conversation and you're not yeah. forcing people uh, into anything. You are, are letting them in some ways lean the way, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but there are things that we, we experience this where people have a resistance and mm. suing, uh, my role for Michael Savas, I tease him for being a bulldog and he will keep going until the lesson comes across. And sometimes there's, there's discomfort there, but if you're, if the person feels safe with you and trusts you and realizes that anytime you say stop or whatever, those are those eye-opening things that I had with my rolfing to let go. And, and so you can't do that. You can have all the, you can have the greatest golf clubs in your bag. And if you don't know how to swing them, you're not, you're going to play like I play golf. So, um, you know, that's, that's my main thing. Um, we are solving problems. The biggest thing I have to do with, with massage therapists is that, you're not doing a cookie cutter routine. And um, we are trying to stretch tissue, not squeeze tissue. So minimize um, lubrication, uh, get that, take the tissue to its end range, which usually use your joints or whatever you're gonna to do to do that and, and let the tissue let go. And that's not just fascia, it's neurological, um, Golgi tendon organs, uh, fear, pain, all of these things that, you know, restrict that. Um, so letting things happen, not making things happen. Uh, one of the big ways to do this is the length of your session. 
and Kay, my therapist I was talking about, um, she started out giving hour sessions. But mm -hmm. one of the things so different from spas is that she has a thing right in her office. Says, your time doesn't start until I start working. And so people, I think I've seen this in the spas, and I go the 50-minute hour. They jump in. There's no mental, emotional contact. People want their 50 minutes. The person says hi, leaves a room, has your climb on the table, your face down. There's no eye contact. There's no trust established. And 50 minutes later, you jump off the table. You have 10 minutes to you know, change, change the linen. Um, she started out doing hours because that's what people, first time I'm seeing this person, I'm going to see what I feel with her. I would say that she gives 20% of her sessions, 60 minutes. She gives 30% of her sessions, 75 minutes, which is a great compromise between 90 minutes and 60 minutes. And probably Almost all the rest are at least 90 minutes, and she occasionally does two hours. Um, I think two hours is too much input to the body. But she's giving a lot of relaxation, and I would probably fall asleep uh, doing that. I like to solve problems, and I find myself, if I'm working too long, as a rolfer, I was always doing an hour and 40-minute sessions. And people get used to that. And so, oh, I guess I better take about six more strokes here, even though I'm not doing anything more. So, you know, the timing of your sessions, the communication, uh, things like that. That's great. Now, just how important it is to have that connection and rapport, and then to create the space to uh, for someone to relax into it. I'm just thinking of Kay's sign you described. She actually has that sign in your office, you say, that reassures people you're, this is not on the clock until you get on the table. So we can take this time to connect yeah, and have, to find out what you want. It's just, it's just so important. I read a the study of physical therapists and uh, they, they had a you know, controlled study and the amount of time they talked to people and asking people what they feel, what they think, listening uh, to them, where they, they don't feel like a body. Uh, you know, yeah. on, on the table. Um, I do think that my physical therapy work was really helpful in that a lot of body workers, including rolfers, feel that the one road to Rome is to lengthen and soften tissue. And I see that a lot of the problems I have are weakness. And so, uh -huh. um, being able to let people know that strengthening core muscles, that if a person's got a, a frozen shoulder issue, you are going to have to start improving internal and external rotation, um, stabilize the scapula, uh, teaching simple exercises. And not only does that much more effective, but it separates you from the masses. And you don't want to separate yourself just to separate yourself. But it gives you a feeling of uh, them, your, your clients, a feeling of trust, uh, of, wow, I, I much prefer having somebody get some exercises, stretching, doing whatever, and say, instead of saying, can I see you in a week, say, let's let this sit. I want you to try these exercises. And time and time again, somebody's got a knee problem, and I won't go into the specifics of how I work with that. And I, I just think giving of, uh, your clients a feeling of empowerment is, is you know, just a huge thing. So uh, teaching strengthening, 
not being afraid without trying to sound like some psychologist. Uh, I, I, I think it, there's a fine line here. I've had body work from people that start asking about my parents when I was weaned and, you know, all of that stuff. But the people, there are emotions in humans, and you uh, in your classes give time for people to express that when you're working and giving examples. So, you know, just a simple, how are you doing with this? You know, uh, oh, well, that's pretty intense, but, you know, and then you go ahead and, and uh, again, I don't go into these deep, deep psychological explanations about why somebody has pain, but listening to people, and another thing that a couple rolfers that have been important to me, um, one, Jason Mixter, who you knew and had a, a rather sad ending. He had a, he, a brilliant rolfer. He, he uh, uh, was a Harvard graduate. He had a, a, a master's in, in psychology or whatever, did all this. And I, I was taught in my massage training and in the Rolf, you have to keep this sort of lofty distance and Jason was the first who sort of just said, you know, I find that when I talk to people a little bit, I want a, you know, a sense of boundaries, they have a sense of getting to know me rather than me just getting to know them. And it really increases the trust. And so, you know, you're not going to be talking about your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fight with this, but <clears throat> a little bit of self-revelation to other people makes this connection. Work. Makes you human. Just yeah, right. person to person at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other thing I think is really important, and uh, again, I'm I'm a big fan of structural body work and integration. And um, of course, you know, I don't want to make this uh, 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 an advertisement for Rolfing. There's some great stuff I've seen from, from other, uh, you know, sources. But having this feeling of connection. So just a, a, a quick example with the client I had last week. Um, Ida Rolf had this uh, saying, uh, go to where it isn't. And it sort of is relying on the shin bone connected to the knee bone, uh, all of this. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. On the other side, with my Rolfer, if I had a specific problem, as great as he was, I would often not mention if I had hurting somewhere because he's going to run away from there because he's going to go to where it isn't. And sometimes I have to remind people that Sigmund Freud said a cigar is just a cigar. And if somebody's a tennis player and has taken their backhand too late and, and uh, they've got tennis elbow, you know, I, I'm not going to work on their big toe. Uh, so, you know, striking a balance here. But this client I had last week, he has had two week, two years that he's stopped being a serious cyclist. He's in his uh, middle to late 50s because a one-time experience um, made his IT band really sore around the knee. And so we did tests. Is this joint? Is it external? How connected it is? And I often do this. And um, instead of diving into his knee, which would be the, you know, just go to where definitely is, um, often if you can explain to people that this is all connected. So I had him stand, <clears throat> and on the side with his knee, I noticed that his foot supinated twice as much. So all that shock was going up the outside of his leg. And um, so I got him on the table, both in prone and sabine, and I tested um, internal and external rotation of the hip, 
uh, abduction, adduction uh, for weakness. And instead of starting on his IT band down by the knee, which I knew was going to help him because it was all fibrous, uh, I freed up his hip. He was very limited in internal rotation uh, of his hip. So you can imagine as a bicyclist, he's probably getting a little bit of a figure eight when he's doing this. I had him stand, uh, and I do a lot of work in gravity. I worked on his foot to get a little bit more pronation, and pronation has this, oh, we pronate. That's, that's the way the body absorbs shock. It's the way it balances us. And so I, had, I worked on his hip and his foot, and you have to explain to people, um, I'm going to get to that problem. You know, because they, they've had other people that I'm the expert and I'm not going to work on this. And he stood up and he said, wow. So you didn't even touch my knee and it feels so much better. I say, good, let's go into the knee now. And um, if you can do that lesson uh, to people, whether it's a, a shoulder, whether it's a back, um, start looking for, you know, the other issues that may be contributing to that. And you can do that in a massage when you're two months out of massage if you test if you have people move around and it just it just blossoms from there so what what you really need and i have to really deal with this with people is you really need to give people the freedom to feel uncomfortable and not knowing and to experiment because there's so much safety in doing the routine. And so time and time again, I, I'm, a, I'm, not, uh, I'm a, not a super insecure person, but I'll show you when I see some of my, my, the people I've studied from, it, it can be pretty easy to feel like, oh, you know, I just am never gonna be anything like that and I don't dare go there. And, you know, I've been at this for a long time and I still keep getting better. And to do that, I have to experiment. I have to go down a road and say, oops, I think this is a dead end and stop. And um, again, I'm blathering along pretty long, but I was teaching in, in Denmark uh, about three years ago and 90% of these were physical therapists, great people. Um, and I'm doing a series. They said, can you do a full session? Because I was doing piece, piece, piece. And so one of the physical therapists brought in her uh, client who was a professional saxophone player and he had scoliosis. And he sort of looked like Quasimodo. And so uh, I worked on him the day before. I said, well, you know, he's really responsive and uh, let's do this. So I said, we're going to take a couple hours here, I'm going to show how I do a session. So I had him move, I had him bend, I checked for mobility. And then I said, okay, here's my game plan. And so I started working. And this is another one is listen to your hands rather than my brain on what I think is supposed to happen and I'm going to do. There's nice safety in that. So I kept diving into this body and I kept changing plans because Oh, I'm feeling a real strain when I work on the gluteus medius. It's going all the way up uh, to the scapula. Say. And so these people were intrigued by that. And, you know, I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change course here a little bit. And finally, I'm working on some area and I'm really tense. And I'm not teaching as much. And I'm really in there and I'm feeling things. And <clears throat> somebody says, excuse me, what exactly are you doing and why? 
I stopped, <laughs> looked up and said, you know, I don't have a clue. I don't, I don't really know. But all I know is that my hands are telling me to do this. And um, I have to tell you that 50% of the time I'm doing things, I'm winging it. And at the end of the class, several days later, people wrote, and several of the people said, the biggest lesson I had is that when I'm, I'm in my physical therapy training, I was told to do this and this and this. And I always had to just keep following that. And the freedom to be comfortable being uncomfortable uh, was a huge lesson. And uh, I'm, I'm still fumbling along <laughs> after 33 or 34 years of rolfing. Uh, but at least I don't sit and berate myself and decide that I'm going to send this person to someone else. Uh, so, so anyway, I think that's a great lesson to, to, to really let yourself be free and adapt. That's great. Thank you. The comfortable, the comfort in being uncomfortable. Yep. And we don't always have to know what's happening, but there's, we can trust our hands. We can listen yeah. to our hands. You said, yeah, that's what I'm that's in so school because you get so many people. Am I doing this right? Mm. And I said, there is no right. You know, yeah. you're doing this a lot better than I can. And um, just don't look at that as right or wrong. There's, yeah. But you do have to see how the body is responding and, and not try to um, force your, yourself into it if it doesn't want to go there. Yeah. Well, Art, I got some good stuff here. I got... Uh, you're thinking about goals versus techniques in your early video. Yeah. Right. One of the keys you said was teaching strengthening, not just loosening things. Uh huh. Yeah. You were giving time to emotions and taking time to connect with the client. Mm -hmm. You're being human yourself, although albeit with boundaries, you're still making a human connection. You were educating people about the connections in their own body, say, how the knee could get better from just working the foot, say. Yep. Freedom to experiment, listening and trusting your hands. Yep. Good stuff. You know, Anything else you'd want to add in there? Well, there's one thing that pops, pops in there for me is um, I'd say one of the biggest problems I see, uh, particularly with relatively new therapists, is a lack of confidence and looking at what you think you're not accomplishing rather than mm. what you are accomplishing. And if mm. you're underconfident, you're not going to lose, you're going to lose that magical um, feeling of having something happen. And um, I, 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 you know, I, I really, I mean, I was pretty confident in all my, you know, educational, with my athletics, with my work. But I'll tell you, when, when I got into body work and I, I saw what my teachers were doing, what the other students who had been doing body work for a long time were doing, I mean, I really seriously uh, doubted myself uh, enough to say, you know, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And another great teacher who, uh, who uh, taught physical therapy at Stanford and got so interested in rolfing, she became a rolfer and she started a big program up at Fresno State. Uh, Helen James, she's 
96 now, and she's still given uh, sessions. She's just a fabulous woman. And I talked to her about my doubts. And this really helped me. I still remember we, I sat and talked to her about what was bothering me. And she said, you know, Art, I just get a sense you don't trust the work. And you think you have to add, you know, something to that. You know, uh, whatever your work is, if it's good enough that it worked for you and you've studied this, uh, don't take too much responsibility for what's happening or what you think is supposed to happen. And if you're a positive and optimistic, that comes across to the clients. And I think we've all had body workers that are, uh, is that okay? Uh, are, are you doing okay here? Is that too much? You know, um, that removes that feeling of competency that I can trust this person. Just simply trusting the work, trusting what you, the value of what you do, trusting it's going to have a beneficial or positive impact on the client. Do the best you can. And outcome often comes days or even weeks after your session. So, mm -hmm. you know, throughout my career, I do a lot of fix-it work. So I don't just do the 10 session. In fact, most of my work is fix-it work. And I'd see somebody for a shoulder and, um, They'd walk out and say, that feels really good. And I said, can, when can I come see? And I say, well, why don't you let it sit for a while? Let's let's keep it moving and see what you can do. And if you start stagnating, come back. I'd never see them again. I'd say, well, you know, that's always great. You get a placebo effect. And then they say that wasn't worth anything. And uh, maybe four or five years later, this person would call and say, you know, you saw me five years ago for a shoulder. And I figured that the guy didn't like my work. And he said, you know, you worked on it once. And my problem totally went away. Now my knee's bothering me. And, uh, you know, that makes you feel a little better. But don't beat yourself up. I, th I think I demand too much of myself. And uh, draw that line to test yourself and to try to be better with, without pushing it too hard. That's great. Thank you for those. That's, that was, that's an amazing set of pearls, pearls of wisdom there. Okay. There's a, I mean, you came to my, you mentioned this earlier, you came to my birthday party last week. Yeah, yeah. My virtual birthday party where I was turning 60. And really what I decided that I wanted for my birthday was conversations like this with people that I admire and respect and who have had an influence on the way I think and what I do. You're high on that list. And there's a question that I'm still trying to formulate. There's still I'm still trying to get the question, but it's something like, it's something about getting older, oh. and something about uh, what's that? I've had a lot of practice getting older. <laughs> okay, good. Because I I I'm getting practice. I can see it coming. I'm going to get more practice, like it or not. Yeah. Uh, what What do you know? about taking care of ourselves as we get older? What's, how well do you do? What's challenging for you? What helps? Those kind of questions. Boy, um, I, I have a lot of physical issues. Uh, a lot of injuries. Um, as, as far as people getting injured when they're working, I think it's trying to make things happen, uh, working yeah. hard. Um, I, I think there's, there's a, a, a not a, a fine line between accepting your limitations as you age um, 
but um, oh, it's not Ezra Pound. I can't remember the the British poet. But it, do not go softly into that dark night, um, tossing in the towel and saying, "Oh, I'm too old. I'm doing this. Uh, you know, I've just got to, you know, lighten up." I, I think we all have to have something to look forward to with growth, and I continue to get better at body work, and um, I'm always looking for something new. And you, uh, you and I discuss things, and light bulbs go on. I still remember some of the things you've, uh, you know, uh, done with me in the sessions we've traded, and uh, it, it was an eye opener. And I likewise, love, likewise for me. Knows so much, but no, and don't be afraid. It's not stealing or plagiarism to expand your skills, but um, get body work. Uh, but I think the main thing, just in life in general, is to not try to just get by um, and yet not push yourself too hard. So I cannot, I used to, I went out uh, about a year and a half ago. I'm, I'm not supposed to run. I've had two knee uh, replacements, but um, long story, I do a little of that because I, I think I have pretty good um, you know, shock absorption. And I ran a half marathon without training at all. Which I don't remember. So, yeah. I remember you told me this. Yeah. But I used to go on 50 and 60 mile runs training for 100 mile runs. And, you know, you just sort of do this. And I said, I almost want to see if I can get through this half marathon. And I ended up running half the distance of a marathon in three minutes less time than the time it took me to run a full marathon. And I think I felt better about that than I did any marathons I ran. And this is how long ago? This is just a, this is a couple of years ago, wasn't it? It's about a year. When was this? A year and a half ago. Yeah. So why did I think I could ask you for wisdom about taking care of yourself? How did I get there? <laughs> it's a don't uh, do as do as I say, not do as I do. But <laughs> to say that fear, and you know, uh, let me just one other thing: when you talk to people. There's yeah. all this, you know, I'm in Berkeley, you know, and everybody's doing this and that and the therapists are going to other therapists and trading and, and, and all these questions are, you know, feel your pain, feel your anger. Um, I find that so many people are really uncomfortable being happy. And mm. um, I think it is important to see what people are afraid of. So people come in with a problem and you're, you're looking at that shoulder, that back, that knee, but behind it all is I'm getting old. Is this what old age is going to be about? What is this going to do to my athletic pursuits and things? And if you can clarify that with people about what does this mean to you? And you can just listen. You don't have to give them an answer on that, but they, they don't go that extra step of, of, what the infirmity or what the complaint is. And um, since I co coached running and, and athletics, because I had, you know, exercise physiology background, um, Kay, my friend, brought in a person who had um, foot surgery, and he wanted her teacher to sort of look at this. And I spent most of my time talking about why he was so sure that on March 15th, when the surgeon said, six weeks have passed that he wanted to get back to running. And I don't, I didn't play psychologist any deep level. I say, you know, your body doesn't give a whip. 
about what your doctor or you or whatever. And I said, or the clock. Runner, you've got to listen to your body and his just you see mm. that light bulb go on in him. And it was like, ah, because he was scared to death about going out on the 15th of March or whatever. And his foot problem coming up again. I said, you don't know, you know, and if you have a little bit of a setback, it isn't that you're back at base one. It's a lesson to you. And, you know, those are the gratifying things that, that we do. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. I know why I asked you about taking care of your life. I know <laughs> well, it's certainly, I don't look at myself as any paragon of wisdom. And I go, I go fumbling along through life and I can sit and talk about, you know, all those problems or I can look and say, well, here's a learning experience here. Let's see how I'm going to deal with that. <laughs> That's great. Just don't so, ask anything uh, about women. Don't ask you anything about women. <laughs> I'm just looking back at some of my relationships, and they're all good. But, you know, there are certain areas that, try as I might, um, I just think there's a basic something in me that I'm probably a little limited in that. Well, <laughs> that's, yeah, maybe that'll be uh, episode two. Yeah, yeah. I probably could ask you uh, questions about that. Yeah. What's... You got any like a parting wish at the end of the interview here, into the conversation, a wish for us, your colleagues, your students, those who have been following in your footsteps? Uh, you got a wish no, for us? Not, not really. I, I'm no sage. I would just say, how can you enjoy your work? And how can you mm. let go of false definitions of success? If you're working on four people a week and those people think you're special and you're not going broke and on food stamps and stuff, maybe that's enough because a lot of offers we got out of class, um, they maybe had had more experience. I'm, I'm not a businessman. Um, they were working on 20 people a week inside of four months. And I, you know, sort of stumbling along, picking up a few people here and there. And I judged myself and said, you know, uh, I must not be a very good rolfer and I'm not a good businessman, but don't judge yourself. You know, look for what you are doing and get enjoyment out of that and, and don't beat yourself up. And I would say that's the main one. And I've seen that with so many of my students, giving them some confidence and saying, you're doing, you're doing great here. That's great. Be a friend to yourself. Yeah. Thanks, Art. Where where can people find out more if they want to check out these amazing videos you've made or uh, well, yeah. books, things like that? Well, on um, my, my website, because all the names were taken, my website is um, deeptissuemassagemanual.com. Uh-huh. Um, deeptissuemassagemanual.com. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And so, but you can just look up Art Riggs and, and it'll lead you there. And they've got, my stuff, uh, you know, for sale, and it's on Amazon. You can look me up there. Um, and I, I very much appreciate it. And again, uh, you are offering my stuff on your website. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think that's another example of your wanting to share knowledge wherever it comes from to make people better. So uh, anybody watching this that uh, is watching Till's, uh, you know, going to Till's website, mine, I don't, I don't get many hits. I don't advertise. I don't do webinars. I don't do any of that stuff, but, um, you know, check out this stuff. I do think we, you know, have a new, a digital format that, um, a lot of people are liking and that you can put it on your tablet or your phone or yep. like that. But 
Yeah. No, we have very few other teachers on my site besides the work that I teach and the people that are doing it. But I'm really honored and pleased to be able to host your uh, videos there. They're a great compliment to what we're offering. Yeah. So, yeah. Check it out either on your site, deeptissuemassagemanual.com, or on our site, and we'll put the links in the show menus. Anything else, Art? No, no, that's great. I appreciate you having me on, and and apologies to, you know, I've I've been uh, blabbing on quite a bit, but, uh, you know, I love enthusiastic about it, and uh, I just want everybody to be enthusiastic about the work they're doing and confident in it and realize how much they're giving. And you may not get that feedback, particularly if you're working in a a short time period, people go off and all that stuff, but you're doing a lot more than you realize. you are. Well, thanks. I mean, I know your your clients are grateful. I know your students are grateful. I know that I'm grateful for all the inspiration and support and leading by example that you've done. Yeah, for all these yeah it's been both ways. Thank you. Art. Yeah. All right. Okay. So our, our closing sponsor, Books of Discovery. Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. In these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here. They see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud to support our work knowing that we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. They invite you to check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com. So thanks to Andrew Beal and to Books of Discovery for their support. Be sure to check out their uh, site. Uh, Thanks to all of our other sponsors. Whitney Lowe will be back with us next episode. His site where you can find show notes and the links we talk about here, academyofclinicalmassage.com. My site, advanced-trainings.com, where we'll put, again, the same, the the full transcript and all of the uh, links that we've mentioned, a link to art site, et cetera, deeptissuemassagemanual.com. Questions or things you'd like uh, to hear us talk about, just email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media, Whitney Lowe or myself, Till Luca. Follow us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen and tell a friend. Thanks again, Art. Well, can I say one other quick thing? Just for, yeah. Just very quick. Yeah. Um, you know, webinars, uh, all of these things. I'm a great believer in hands-on teaching uh, rather than just looking at books. But I do have to say that your two yeah. books are among the best that I've ever seen. And so, you know, it's so easy to sit down and watch a webinar, uh, do all this stuff. But I would say I'm, uh, I always bring your books to my classes and set them out and let people look through there. And I just think they're a wealth of information that you can settle down and take your time and go. So I really do want to say both your books, uh, people should check out. Uh, you're too kind, Kurt. It's, it's great to be in the mutual fan club with you. Yeah, okay. So thanks for that again. Take care, Art. Okay, thank you, my friend. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay, goodbye.